Welcome once again to Benchworld, a podcast designed to provide you with knowledge, experiences, tools, and ideas about venture capital, entrepreneurship, and finance. Interviews and conversations with top-notch global experts will take place every week, hosted by me, Hector Shibata, Director of Investments and Portfolio at AC Ventures, a global corporate venture capital fund an Associate Professor for Entrepreneurial Finance and Venture Capital. Don't forget to follow us for more content on Medium, LinkedIn and Twitter as ACB underscore BC. With no more to say, hope you enjoy this episode. Please follow us in our networks such as LinkedIn, Medium, Twitter, and Spotify. So first of all, we have Tayo. He's the founder and group CEO of Paga. Paga is a mobile payment company building an ecosystem to enable people digitally send and receive money, as well as creating simple financial access for everyone. Paga is a lending mobile, mobile money service in Nigeria, its first market, and it is expanding in other geographies. Thank you, Tayo, for being with us. We also have Jonathan. Jonathan is a seasoned investor and entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience in Latin. Before co-founding Quona, he was the co-founder and CEO of Acceso, a living prepaid financial service provider for the unbanned population in Brazil. Thank you, Jonathan, for being today with us. So let's kick off this fire chat. So first of all, if you know, we have observed a trend of applying FinTech solution in most industries, in many diverse industries, you name it, which is known embedded fintech or embedded finance. Could you please let us know, first of all, your definition or your rationale about embedded finance, embedded fintech, and also which sectors will be the most disruptive by fintech? Tayo, let's start with you. Well, thank you very much, Hector, for, for having me. It is a, it's a real pleasure to be to be on your um, webinar and good to see you again, Jonathan. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other was here in Lagos, Nigeria, where I'm coming from today, uh, my office. Um, so, you know, when, when we talk about embedded fintech, um, for me, what it sort of uh, represents is the idea that in, in other industries or products of, for other sectors outside of financial services, um, financial technology products are brought into those sectors and into those products. Um, and it could take a variety of forms, right? Um, and, and we're already starting to see several examples of this play out, right? We are seeing everything from the large social media companies uh, bringing in financial technology into a social world, right? So if you look in China as an example, the likes of WeChat right within your chat window, you can perform a variety of uh, payments. You can invest in in, in asset managed in um, asset backed tools or products um, as one example, right? But there's other industrial type examples as well where um, financial technology is being embedded. So that's how I think about it. Um, my sense is that the area where there's going to be a lot of potential down the line is really around commerce and not in, not even about online commerce, but what we know as traditional commerce, um, and physical commerce, right? So 
you know, you have uh, the Coca-Colas of the world or, you know, the, the large FMCG or consumer product companies who are selling through formal retail and through informal retail um, and have built out physical distribution networks to reach their end consumers. I think those industries where have those physical distribution points have a lot of opportunity for embedded fintech across the value chain um, that they look at, right? Um, everything from the end consumers paying digitally and accessing loans to the last mile distribution, actually accessing loans, um, buying digitally, ordering digitally, right? And enabling those companies to also get visibility across their value chain. Think about working capital loans. So there's a number of different things I think could flow into that entire value chain. And I think that has huge potential for embedded FinTech in the future. Great, no, thank you. What, what are your thoughts around this, Jonathan? Um, yeah, I think Tayo captured it well. I mean, for us, fundamentally, um, embedded finance is about incorporating financial services into uh, businesses that are not per se financial services companies, right? And and looking for ways to either um, provide additional value to uh, to their to their customers, to drive additional revenue, to engage more deeply with that, with with clients. And in many cases, actually, to, to kind of reinvent um, uh, business models that have, have traditionally relied on a, a certain type of, of of revenue equation, and rethinking things by um, by by approaching the business with a different optic and with a different set of tools. Um, we'll, and I think we'll talk a bit more about this and get 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 more deeply into it. But really, it's it's uh, I think it's unleashing a a wave of of, of business model innovation uh, across industries that we're just beginning to see, and that I think is going to have a really lasting impact in the way that financial services are delivered, the way they're designed, and the way a lot of, a lot of traditional industries think about their business um, and, and think about uh, what they're all about and where revenue comes from and what their engagement with clients is. Um, some of the areas that we see being most impacted by, by embedded finance are um, what we like to call finan uh, financial services enabled marketplaces, right? Um, uh, Rethinking again the 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 way that commerce is conducted uh, across uh, across multiple industries. We have a number of, of of companies in our portfolio that, for example, are in the the B two B embedded finance marketplace that are providing are supplying um, small stores and small shops uh, that have now incorporated uh, payments, lending. And, and even uh, account services into what traditionally was basically a, a you know a, a B2P, B2B marketplace supplying goods to uh, to to small uh, small suppliers. Other industries that are being significantly transformed, obviously you know, one of one of the uh, the industries that is probably most um, visible is is the mobility space, right? Where um, uh, ride sharing. Uh, uh, has been kind of transformed by uh, incorporating uh, payments and account services for for drivers uh, and uh, means of payments and uh, and and stored value for uh, for users. But even beyond that, I think entire models of ownership are being rethought. Uh, right? What does it mean to own a vehicle? Do you need to do you need to buy that vehicle, or can you own it um, uh, on a 
on a shared basis. Use it when you need to, uh, pay for it when you need to. All of that really is, is a financial service uh, layered onto what traditionally has been the mobility space. Other industries that we see being, um, uh, being transformed um, uh, is education, for example, right? Uh, education, where now, particularly in trade schools, education, uh, finance, um, uh, income sharing agreements, um, all in an ecosystem that helps students not only you know, apply to and get into a school and finish, finish, uh, finish their degree, uh, but actually prepare for, uh, for uh, uh, their first job, um, help them to think about what it takes to further their career and provide them with the financial means and tools in order to do that. That for me is part of embedded finance, right? You need a credit card, we'll help you with a credit card. You need a loan, we'll provide you with a loan. You need, a, you need that, first, that first bank account, we'll provide you with that first bank account, not as an end to itself, but as a means of enabling um, a, a, a service. The final one that I would mention that I like a lot because it's in our portfolio uh, is kind of the reinvention of tax and accounting services, right? Tax and accounting services have traditionally been kind of a siloed um, uh, um, service for, uh, for companies. Now we have companies in our portfolio like Contabilize in Brazil, which is, is really rethinking their engagement with clients. They have all of this data, they understand their clients um, uh, inside and out, and they, they know that their clients need payment services lending services, account services. So now in a single dashboard, why not offer these clients um, uh, not, only the, not only their accounting and, and, and tax compliance services, which they provide in, in, as a SaaS service, but incorporate those financial services that allows them to basically have you know, a single window, a single pane into, uh, into their financial lives. So I, I think, again, uh, there are a lot of industries that are being disrupted. Uh, but these maybe are some examples of how I see embedded finance transforming industries, right? Thank you, Jonathan. And uh, Tayo, in your opinion, which are the factors that are more relevant to implement fintech solutions across these industries? You know, I, I, I guess what you're asking, Ricardo, is like, what are the fund underlying factors, right? Um, and I think some of what Jonathan said now alluded to it. Um, in my mind, the big thing is data. Right, um, that you know, many of these services that we're seeing across um, different sectors, uh, there's an underlying base of data in the core business or whatever that actual industry is offering, right? That can be leveraged um, to take an innovative approach to how you finance things, right? Um, of course, in any business, you need the demand side and supply, but, but I think fundamentally that data uh, level um, being there enables you to then offer a variety of things to a large ecosystem, right? Um, and and I think what you know ultimately what I think of the businesses around financial technology, it's I like to say it's uh, you know it, we're solving a, what I call a key exchange problem, right? I have something of value, you have something of value. How do we exchange it, or how do we sort of make that trade happen? Um, and and so. You know, on, on the, underneath that, to enable that or to even bring the people together, um, I think it's it's really having that data and understanding of what the market is demanding um, and what you can build on top of it. So, as as as, as you describe, uh, Tayo and Jonathan, obviously you need data and you need a business in order to come up with a financial solution in the embedded world. So, here the question is. 
Do you believe that any business can become a fintech? Well, what are your thoughts about that, Jonathan? Is anyone be able to do so? Um, yeah, well, it's uh, it's certainly um, uh, de rigueur, and uh, uh, it's you know, it's uh, everyone wants to become a fintech, um, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessary. In fact, I, I don't I don't think that that's probably the right way to view it. Um, I, 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 for, I for me, I see. Um, what I see is a blurring, blurring of the lines between what is financial services and what is traditional commerce, what is traditional business, and uh, um, and uh, and uh, how to leverage financial technology. Um, I, I think um, you know traditional businesses stuck to kind of narrow swim lanes, right? Um, they 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 kind of stuck to their knitting, and financial services was provided by by banks or by regulated entities. Um, with with embedded finance, all of that is kind of turned on its head, but it's not really, I think, so much about, about businesses becoming fintechs, but rather uh, looking for ways to um, enable their businesses uh, in innovative ways uh, through uh, financial technology and through you know, what we're calling uh, in, in embedded finance, right? And we talked a bit about, um, a bit about what, what this means. I mean, you're, you're leveraging um, an existing customer relationship a uh, data and a deep understanding of, uh, of, of your client's needs um, and designing then a, a set of, of, of services that allows you to serve those clients more comprehensively than you were able to do so without financial services. So it's really about enablement uh, by financial technology, not about becoming a FinTech per se. Um, you know, to some extent, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, uh, I think this is about the democratization or expansion, dramatic expansion yeah. of the ability yeah. of companies to be able to do this because companies have been doing this for a long time, right? So I think, mm -hmm. you know, uh, manufacturers have been providing um, trade finance to their, uh, to their businesses for, you know, for, to their clients for centuries uh, or millennia. Um, the auto industry has made uh, a lot of money um, through uh, their finance vehicles, which typically have been separate um, uh, subsidiaries, providing financing to dealers and financing to to, to consumers. So this, to some extent, this isn't this isn't anything new, except that now uh, many more businesses, many more industries can rethink their businesses because this is now much more available to them than uh, than than it was in the past. So you know, I, I, I hesitate to say that you know, businesses can't become fintechs if they don't want to. I think anything is possible now, and I think that's the beauty of the flexibility that we have today. You know, surprise us, right? Uh, if if you think uh, if you think it yeah. makes sense for your industry to become a fintech, go for it. But I don't I don't necessarily think that's the right way to 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 look at it. Nor do I think that's the real power of embedded finance. Yeah, I I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I think I think you you are seeing already. Um, a number of regulated, I mean, we have to remember that this is always going to be a regulated space, right? Um, I don't think governments are going to get, let go of that anytime soon. Um, and but you are seeing a number of regulated businesses opening up their platforms to enable others to embed those services into it. Um, I'll, as an example, you know, Jonathan talked about delivery businesses, right? There's a delivery business here in Nigeria that if you want to pay, you can, when you get to the payment page, you just see PAGA and you just press that and immediately your account in PAGA is debited. You don't have to enter anything again. So they've embedded our 
our rails, our payment rails into their platform, right? And that's for one use case, right? They don't need to be a FinTech to achieve the things they want because they can partner with a FinTech to get, to get those things. They don't have to worry about the regulation. They don't have to worry about a bunch of different things that we have to worry about. So I think there are many examples like this. Um, and I think you will see a mix of, um, of people. I think most people will go that route of partnering with existing players and leveraging their platforms and open APIs. Um, and then some larger players will, will go it alone as well. Follow up with this, I mean, how have you seen all these trends of these huge companies like Amazon, Google, and Facebook that they have been launching FinTech solutions to for the users, are they deemed to, to become financial institutions at some, at some point or it's just only a trend? Yeah. I don't know your thoughts, Dario and uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think it's, uh, each one is a bit different. Um, Amazon, before the word FinTech existed, has been in financial technology, right? Um, they've, they've been processing payments for, for quite a long time. Um, and, and when you think about commerce, and you know their their overall strategy, right? Part of the beauty of what they're able to do is that they own most legs of their supply chain of their entire chain, right? Um, and so, owning the financial technology piece of it makes sense. Um, so, I definitely would expect them to wherever they need to be regulated, just to be regulated, right? Um, and and they have the muscle to be able to go do that across different geographies, right? Um, I don't actually think that's going to make them a bank, but I think that for sure, right? There are so many aspects of our lives that why not, right? There's a possibility for that. And the same thing comes with the social media companies, right? Um, I do think that um, over time, they're, they're moving more to being in that regulated space, even though they're taking more of a partnership approach in some countries. Um, but I think at some point they'll probably, you know, they, they could seek out regulations. I think the challenge that they have and I think for Facebook as an example, this I think is why Libra becomes interesting for them, is that the challenge they have in the, in the more traditional financial technology space is that every country has different regulations. So if you're that big, and you want to offer something to the entire world, it is quite difficult to go around the world and be regulated in all these different markets. And that's why you see folks like Ant Financial investing across multiple markets in you know, in, in, in other players, right? It's one way to bring it together. Right, what Facebook is doing is saying, look, we're gonna do some of that in big markets. So they're in India already, they tried in Brazil and got, you know, got slapped on the wrist. Uh, but Libra becomes more important because if you can move people to cryptocurrency, if you can move people to Libra and to something that is outside of Facebook and accepted um, and to be determined whether it's actually going to be really accepted, and then it gives the ubiquity that they were looking for in people being able to exchange value on their platform, right? Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm less keen on defining them in one way or the other in terms of the words, but more about what is the service they're offering and what's the, you know, they're sitting on a lot of data. So they have the opportunity to know, you know, what people are doing and what, what is interesting, what is going on and also make the connections between them. And that gives them the opportunity to offer a variety of services to the end consumer. I just wanted to pick up on a, on a couple of things that um, that uh, Tyle mentioned. Um, he mentioned that Ant Financial. So for me, yes, that you know the, the question of what behind what becomes of Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple is is interesting, but it's a very developed market view. I think there's much more interesting things happening 
um, uh, in 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 developed uh, in developing markets. And I think, you know, the the, the question around you know what becomes with uh, what what happens with GAFA, right? Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Apple, is in part being driven by can they become something like an Ant Financial or a WeChat, um, uh, which in, uh, yeah. in, in China has reinvented an entire category that combines commerce, payments, messaging, loans. Um, uh, you know, Ant Financial now provides um, uh, savings products, uh, investment products. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's amazing what they've created. They've created an, an entirely new category of this integration of financial services and commerce that we haven't even seen any of the uh, US players come close to emulating. Um, so I think there's much more interesting things happening um, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in developing markets. We see this now in Latin America with Mercado Pago um, as a significant contributor to growth and uh, you know, probably profitability in the, in the, in the near future for, for, uh, for Mercado Libre. Um, that for me is, is a, a more interesting story maybe because we invest in emerging markets than the, uh, than the US uh, 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 behemoths uh, story. I think they're coming from behind in most of the markets that we invest in and operate in. And I think the companies that have really shown how this can be done um, are, are, uh, are, are outside of the US. I mean, think Ant Financial supposedly is worth $300 billion. I mean, that's, those are crazy numbers. And this is, a, this is a company that is just focused on financial services as a part of this, uh, of this, uh, uh, you know, e-commerce uh, uh, behemoth, that is not not that not a U.S. behemoth. So I, I think I think um, and and these, you know, Ant Financial is a regulated entity in many regards. Uh, 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 I think a lot of these a lot of these these platforms are going to be regulated entities as they um, uh, offer regulated services, payment services, lending services. They may eventually become a a, a, a bank. But again, there are a lot of different regulations, different licenses that they're availing themselves of in order to provide their services. But for me, that's the more interesting story is what's happening in emerging markets. So I guess here the question is that you, when embedded finance is being adopted by a traditional retailer, the fintech revenue is going to be larger than the traditional retail revenue. That's your expectation at some point in time? I, I, I doubt it, right? Um, you know, I think it'll be big, but I but I doubt it, right? Um, I think there's still, um, you know, commerce as an example, you know, um, it's still a lot of room. So if you look at and financial, um, you know, I actually haven't compared it, but but I have to bet that and financial and Alibaba are about similar similar sort of size. Although and financial has gone outside of the Alibaba um, ecosystem, so that's a bit different, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious what you think, Jonathan. I mean, but well, my sense is that, you know, um, you know, the people who are embedding fintech and financial services into their larger product set, um, it gives them better margins. But I, I, I doubt that that specifically will be the revenue stream from that would be larger than it, than a large core business. I guess it depends on what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I mean, I think the the, the best example of financial services actually end up ending up being worth a lot more than the core business is eBay and PayPal. Right? PayPal was born as a as a provider of payment services for uh, for for eBay. Yeah, yeah. Today, today PayPal is worth a heck of a lot yeah. more than eBay. Um, sure. Yeah, but uh, hard hard to say, right? Hard to say. Yeah. But that's an example similar to to Alipay, right? Where they've gone outside of the original mothership. Yeah. Right, um, 
and I think that's where it changes changes the picture. Right? Interesting. And now, just following up, I mean, what about the huge banks? I mean, Jonathan, as we know, in 1789, the Mahana Company was founded, uh, which is now known as J.P. Morgan Chase. So, how does this? Um, old and legacy banks are going to sustain their competitive advantage vis-a-vis -vis these institutions like and financial that you mentioned. Yeah, so um, I, I would posit that banks are going to be around for the long haul um, and uh, uh, that they're not, they're not withering away and dying, uh, but they do need to adapt, right? Many are investing pretty heavily um, in, uh, in, in innovation or supporting innovators. They're pursuing uh, partnerships um, but, um, you know, they face massive challenges, right? They have uh, legacy systems that are, um, are difficult to um, do the fast product innovation and iteration that uh, financial technology companies are, are, um, are, are able to do. They have high cost structures um, that bring a lot of inefficiencies, um, a lot of personnel, a lot of bank branches, a lot of infrastructure that, uh, that is a drag on them. They have a, a generally have had a culture that has been conservative, right? Um, naturally, so they're in, they're they're a regulated entity, uh, and they have to take care. And the regulatory environment also uh, provides them with has has some gives them constraints that uh, financial technology companies often don't have, right? Because they start in either unregulated or more lightly regulated uh, areas of the financial services uh, uh, space and more slowly then um, develop into entities that require more heavy regulation, but they've been able to, um, to start out and experiment in, uh, with, with, without that kind of regulatory burden. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a challenge, um, but you know, if we invest in emerging markets, I, that for me is kind of the least of the worries, right? Um, whether they can, uh, they can adapt um, because they have to be forced to adapt, right? So uh, in, in most emerging markets, you have a handful of banks that control all banking assets. In Brazil, it's five that control almost 90% of banking assets. Um, in many emerging markets, uh, Latin America, certainly uh, a region that stands out for this, uh, return on equity is amongst the highest in the world. Right. So the banks are extraordinarily profitable. Um, uh, fee revenue um, is, is bordering on absurd. Uh, net interest margins um, are, are far higher than they are in, in, uh, in developed markets. Um, and there are huge segments of the population, both consumers and small businesses that um, are, are very, very poorly served by, by incumbents. Um, so, you know, uh, are the banks going to survive? Yes, probably. In a, they're they're going to look different than they than they do today, um, and some some may wither away and die. Uh, but I think the beauty of financial technology is that it is forcing change in an industry that absolutely needs it. Um, and I don't think this is about calling the banks bad. They're being perfectly rational, right? Um, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you continue doing what you're doing if your ROEs are in the mid teens or high teens? I mean, yeah. you know, it's. And their business model has worked for a long time. What yeah. I think is really exciting is to see financial technology companies forcing change and the central banks yeah. embracing financial technology as a means to promote financial inclusion and to drive costs down, to expand access to services um, and to accomplish things that without that pressure of 
agile financial technology companies would never happen, right? Um, yeah. And again, they're being perfectly rational. If your if your ROEs are you know fifteen to twenty percent, why would you change anything unless you're forced yeah. to? Yeah, no, no I, I totally, totally, totally agree with that. I mean, um, I mean, if you use Apple as an example, um, you know, the if you have cash in your Apple wallet, um, you know, that's Green Dot Bank. Nobody knows Green Dot Bank, right? But Green Dot Bank is innovated to allow that service to be there. And of course, now Goldman Sachs, one of the biggest banks, saw that. And now, when you get an Apple Card, that's a Goldman Sachs product. Right, so they also they're going to be around, right? Because they're going to innovate as well um, and figure and figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about innovation and talking about the changes, we live in a pandemic world, and today mm. there's a lot of contactless solutions, and mm. and there's a lot of innovation around fintech technology. So mm. how how do you see Tayo the future of payments, uh, yeah. having having in mind this pandemic? Well, you know, uh, uh, one of the you know things that the pandemic has accelerated is the uh, the use of digital payments, right? Um, I think I saw a statistic uh, last week that talked about how um, you know the coronavirus actually can stay on 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 physical physical paper and uh, ca cash notes um, for for quite a few days. Um, and and so there's you know even beyond that, just even touching the point of sale devices, etc. So. We've seen that acceleration even here in Nigeria, where you know in the last in Q2, I think we had about 600% growth in terms of the people signing up to use our platform, right? Um, and this is you know almost uh, half a million new signups, right? Um, and this is just people looking for alternative means of how do I make how do I make make payments? Um, and I think we're seeing that all around the world. Um, and and what we're going to see first of all is a move to um, cashless. And then, and really contactless, right? Um, and so, whether that is NFC based, whether that is sound based, right? Uh, you know, you're going to see some innovations around that. Um, and we're working on some innovations in Nigeria around it. I know others around the world are doing are doing the same thing. And it's really just moving us down a trend of of where um, you know a vision that I've had for you know 12 years plus now of a cashless world where physical cash does not actually exist anymore, right? Um, and I remember when I used to say that in 2009, everybody, people thought I was crazy, right? Like there was no Bitcoin, there was no crypto, there was no cryptocurrency, there was nothing, right? Like, and now people are like, oh yeah, I can sort of see that happening, right? Um, and, and I think we're moving in that direction very heavily, right? I think that's what we're going to see. And, and like Jonathan was saying, the benefits are you're gonna have, you know, greater access to, uh, for, financial inclusion, right? Because it's gonna be cheaper to serve the, the mass market. Um, and you're also, you know, so for the economies of the world, um, processing cash is about five to 7% of GDP. So it's gonna, it's also gonna be very good for economies of the world to go in a digital direction. And as we've seen, uh, Jonathan, uh, first the payment methods uh, space blossomed. After that, the lending space was the, the biggest trend in fintech. Mm. What would you think that will be the next uh, area in fintech that will mm. uh, see this exponential growth? Yeah, and so we're talking about embedded finance. And one of the things that excited me about participating on this on this um, panel is that I actually think embedded finance is a, a significant next wave, right? Um, I think it's been being enabled by uh, a, a series of, of, uh, of 
of regulatory and infrastructural trends that are enabling uh, embedded finance, right? So the, the push towards uh, a, 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 an open banking um, uh, system, the rise of platforms that are, um, are, are, are taking advantage of that opening, um, banking as a service companies are uh, emerging across Latin America and elsewhere that make it very easy for companies now to incorporate payment services, a credit card, a bank account, a, 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 um, um, a loan product into their offering. And three, four years ago would have been much more difficult. So the rise of these platforms is actually fairly recent, which for me means that the, the, the wave of innovation in embedded finance is only now possible because a lot of those rails are now in place. Um, in, in Brazil, where I spend most of my time, um, there are probably 15 banking as a service providers with, uh, with fairly comprehensive uh, offerings that have emerged just in the last two, three years. Um, and API platforms like Plaid in the US that are now emerging um, in, uh, in, in markets like Latin America, companies like Belvo um, that are, are making it easy now to integrate and to incorporate these kinds of services into, uh, into, um, uh, into traditional industries. And uh, we, we talked about those a bit in the last few minutes, but for me, embedded finance is something that we're just beginning to see the impact of. Um, I think insurance and SureTech is a, is a next wave. We've been watching a lot of companies that are fairly early in their development. And I think the next stage is going to be one of, uh, of, of, of significant growth, evolution, and innovation in the insurance uh, uh, market. The other one that I would mention um, is a, a bit of rebundling, right? So we've seen the, the, the great unbundling of services, right? Um, whereas the banks used to provide all of the services under a single roof, financial technology enabled now that, that kind of uh, unbundling. We now see the emergence of, of, uh, of, of, of larger companies that are beginning to rebundle in a reimagined way, in a digital way, uh, services that, uh, again, first emerged in this kind of first wave of unbundling. Companies like uh, Neon in our portfolio, which is a challenger bank in, uh, in, in, in Brazil that is now incorporating a lot of services that previously were uh, again, unbundled uh, uh, at New Bank. Look at companies like Ant Financial and the the breadth of services that they provide, all under a digital and reimagined roof. Um, I think we're going to see more of that, and I think we'll talk uh, maybe a bit uh, uh, in in, uh, in in a bit about the implications of this in terms of M and A and such. But I I think um, we're going to see more of this um, uh, this this dynamic playing out in uh, in, in our markets, which is not just the unbundling and separation and creating the creation of, of siloed specific service companies, but a, uh, a, a combination with a digital uh, outlook, digital platform engagement with clients that is entirely mobile, um, but with a variety of services combined. A lot of different things going on. <laughs> I think FinTech is extraordinarily exciting, but those are some that, uh, that, that I think are, are are certainly on our mind as we look at opportunities across our markets. No, absolutely, and and speaking about technologies, so today we have blockchain. Do you see blockchain as an enabler for enabler enabler finance in the, in the next coming years, Tadio? Definitely, right. Um, look, the distributed ledger has a lot of potential um, in terms of you know scale, right, um, and certainty of transaction. 
Um, and I think we're now getting to, you know, if you remember the Gartner, Gartner charts, I think we've gone through the, the period of disillusionment on blockchain, right? I think we're now getting to the place where we're going to see real, real applications and use case and know more about the hype of it. Um, it does face the challenge that people have already invested significantly in large databases um, that are, you know, now in the cloud. Um, but I think, you know, now that more people are moving to the cloud, I think it's going to be easier to move and transitioning to blockchain type solutions across not just financial services, but across a variety of industries, actually. Um, so, you know, again, just to make sure it's clear, the blockchain doesn't necessarily mean cryptocurrency, right? So cryptocurrency is leveraged blockchain, but blockchain can be used outside of the cryptocurrency space. Um, and, and that's what I mean in terms of distributing um, ledgers distributing databases um, in a way that you know you can really determine sentence and anybody can plug in to figure out what's going on in the in the system. So I definitely think that we'll see we'll see we'll see that more in terms of uh, being used. Okay, and what about in terms of um, all these uh, the huge amounts of solutions that are being. Uh, uh, being born in the in fintech, I mean, is there enough technological infrastructure to sustain all these solutions, uh, or we will see in the future um, a saturated market of solutions with not enough value added by themselves? Yeah. I don't know, Jonathan, if you have any any opinion with this. Yeah, so um, I think the regulatory environment has a lot to do with that, right? How 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 um, flexible is the regulator in allowing companies to secure licenses that allow them, allow them to offer payment services, uh, lending services. Um, uh, how, how, uh, how flexible are they? Uh, what, what kind of, a, of an environment are they creating, allowing companies to emerge that plug into various components of the financial services ecosystem to be able to offer modularized services to um, those companies wanting to offer a, a an embedded finance um, uh, within whatever service uh, it is that they're offering to the market, and some some countries are are are, are doing a better job of that of that than others, right? And you see the real impact in the emergence of these banking as a service providers. Um, Markets like Brazil, I think, have done an extraordinary job. Uh, I think the central bank there is very forward thinking um, and is now, through careful work over the last at least five years, if not more, um, has now created the conditions for the emergence of these banking as a service providers that are riding on top of, of a, a regulatory framework uh, that has allowed the emergence of these. Other markets, I think, are way behind. Um, and, and part of that has to do with, um, yes, market dynamics um, uh, that has, a, has something to do with it, but I think the regulatory environment is, 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 um, is very key. So markets like Mexico has a, a, uh, a fraction of the availability of banking as a service providers that would enable a retailer or, any, or a company in any other industry to think about an embedded finance model. So I do think that that's really key. So it's not about whether uh, you know, there is the technological capability or whether infrastructure can be built. Um, it can be, um, but uh, uh, and in and, and markets like the US and Europe, 
Brazil. Uh, I think we see now the, the, that infrastructure is available um, and that uh, infrastructure is adaptable too, to the needs of, of, uh, of companies that are kind of reimagining their businesses with, with embedded finance. But there are other markets where that's very, very difficult. And I think Mexico is one that um, today is, is significantly behind in the availability of that infrastructure. So if you want to offer these services in Mexico today, it's going to be much more difficult than it would be in, in Brazil, where literally you could be up and running with a payment service, a bank account service, a credit card uh, offering in, I mean, if you really wanted to you know, press, the, the, uh, press, press the accelerator, it could be uh, you know, weeks, maybe a couple of months. Um, it's that quick because you now have the service providers that, that allow you to do so. Um, so I would love to see this wave sweep all of the markets where we, where we invest. Um, and I think we'll get there. Uh, and I think the evidence that is shown of the impact on the dynamism of financial services from those markets that have been more at the forefront of this is, is hopefully going to push um, uh, other, other countries to adapt the kind of uh, regulatory framework that allows for the emergence of these platforms, but not everyone is there. And how do you see the future of uh, all these uh, fintechs? I mean, will there be uh, trading big companies or will they just become strategic acquisitions for other uh, bigger players? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take that one first as a, uh, as, a, as a VC investor. I mean, look, in, in venture capital, most, um, most exits uh, are through a, a trade sale, right? Through an acquisition of a, uh, of a company by a larger company. Um, and we're, what's exciting is we're starting to see quite a bit of that in the FinTech space, not just in, uh, in, in developed markets, but in, in, uh, in emerging markets, right? Uh, uh, companies in our own portfolio, like uh, Coins, which is a payments company in the Philippines, acquired by Gojek. Um, we see some of the larger FinTechs like uh, Nubank acquiring companies like Ease Invest in order to offer um, uh, 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 savings and investment uh, products. We see um, uh, companies um, uh, like uh, our portfolio company, Creditas, uh, uh, acquiring a company called Creditu to offer um, uh, payroll lending to the mid and small segment of the, uh, of, of the market um, using a, a, a technology platform that is highly efficient and enables them to reach previously unreached employers to offer payroll lending to their, to their services, to their, to their clients uh, or to their employees, sorry. Um, so we're seeing a, a, a lot of this. And it, again, I, I think it's an exciting and interesting time um, where a, a number of our portfolio companies are being acquired. Some of our portfolio companies are out there acquiring um, and you see some very large transactions, right? Uh, MasterCard just acquired uh, Finicity, for example. Uh, um, so you see, I think you, there's, there's now, a, we're now at a stage where financial technology companies are being actively acquired um, and uh, there's a, an extraordinarily rich uh, market just for that, right? And, and the emergence of investment banks that just focus on that, right? So uh, um, uh, 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 that, that I think is, is um, uh, going to be a, a significant source of, of liquidity for investors uh, uh, over the next few years. But we also see some really successful IPOs. Um, uh, out of Latin America, you've seen companies like uh, Stone and Pagseguro uh, from, uh, from Brazil, extraordinarily successful, right? Yeah. Uh, Stone, Stone was, uh, was launched in 2013, 2014, and is what now, uh, well over $10 billion company. Um, uh, uh, Pagseguro, similar. Um, 
some of the companies in uh, in in the financial technology space um, that uh, are in spaces that we like, like the buy now pay later space, Afterpay, a firm about to go public, Ant Financial is about to go public. Uh, we would expect uh, Nubank uh, in Brazil to be going public at some point. Purportedly, the most valuable uh, challenger bank in the uh, in the world. Um, but you know, I think I, IPOs are are dependent on a lot of different factors, not just the success of the uh, of the fintech companies. But we're beginning to see some very interesting dynamics there um, uh, in markets like Brazil, where the IPO markets have been open. Um, so we 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 certainly are, are 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 hopeful that a number of our companies will see that as the path to liquidity. One of the companies in our portfolio that just recently IPO'd was India Mart, which interestingly is a B two B marketplace that is financial technology enabled. Um, that was a very successful IPO in, uh, in India um, uh, last year, uh, one of the most successful um, uh, tech IPOs in India in, uh, in, in recent years. So I, I think it's going to be a combination, um, uh, uh, but uh, I, I, I like the trends on, uh, on, on, on both fronts. Yeah, I'll just maybe before you go on, I'll just add, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, like in Nigeria, we just saw last week Stripe just acquired uh, a payment company here called Paystack for $200 million, right? And so I think that's the largest uh, acquisition um, that we've seen in the in the fintech space in, in Nigeria um, so far. So um, I think that definitely you're also seeing the large players now starting to look at emerging markets, right? Um, and say, how do I, you know, how do we launch our businesses there? And it's either going to be through acquisition or, or by going um, and launching directly. So, so here the question is, what's next? What's going to be the future of embedded fintech? Jonathan, you, Jonathan. You, go, you, go, you go first. <laughs> Yeah, no. So, so I, I think this is where it really gets exciting, right? I think um, yeah. I think there's going to be a, a a lot of innovation that surprises us, um, and uh, I think what 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 embedded finance now allows um, in uh, industries um, uh, that are have traditionally been thought of as very staid, um, uh, very traditional, um, uh, now can be you know completely reinvented. So. Um, I, I, I think that what what comes next is, uh, is going to be a series of reinventions, really of, of business models, and we've heard, referred to this you know earlier, um, of, of of business models that can now be rethought uh, from the perspective of uh, of of a, 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 the offering of an inclusion of uh, of financial services into their model. I, just as an example, right? Um, one of the companies that I just read about it's in, it's in developed markets, but I thought it was an interesting kind of example of what can be possible. Um, electronic bike or electric bikes have now taken off, right? Um, uh, and, um, but they're expensive. They're, they're three to $4,000. Um, so buying an electric bike is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an endeavor that you know, a lot of people just simply can't afford. So companies have now emerged that are, are, are providing you uh, with uh, electric bike um, uh, as a, a pay-per-use pay uh, uh, rental, you basically mm -hmm. you know, get get the uh, get yeah. the bike, get the maintenance. Um, if it if it breaks, they come and pick it up and uh, and replace it for you. So, what is that mm -hmm. company, right? What what is it? Is it, a, is it a, this is a means? This is a way for them to enable more sales of electric bikes, but they're providing this with a wrapping of financial services. We're going to allow you to pay for this, uh, basically lease. Um, it, it, over time, 
We're going to wrap um, uh, maintenance and replacement uh, for you all in kind of a reimagined um, uh, uh, offering to clients. Whereas previously, you know, what would an electric bike company have done 10 years ago? You just, you know, you try to market more, you try to think about distribution, uh, reach more people, but ultimately you have to find people that are willing to shell out, you know, $4,000 for an electric bike. Now that can yeah. be reimagined. Why? Because these, these rails and this infrastructure to be able to embed financial services into that offering is much more easy. Uh, and you can now reimagine the way that you offer products and services. And that's just one probably poor example, uh, but it's yeah, uh, an, an example of, like, I think we're gonna see more and more yeah. of, of these kinds of models, which, which uh, are just you know, uh, creative, surprising, uh, and kind of reinventing the way things have traditionally been done. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you're going to see a, a lot of business model uh, surprises and changes. Um, but I, I, one thing that's going to drive it, by the way, um, is that we are going to see countries, like I was saying before, go 100% digital, right? I'm currently advising on, on the digital dollar project. So the fact that the U.S. government is actually now spending time Congress, Senate, like spending time to understand what would it mean for us to have a digital dollar. And we're hopeful that early next year we'll have pilots um, around some ideas around this. Uh, we've seen it in China, where China is already having a pilot, the, the digital R&D, right? Um, so just imagine if currency was 100% digital, right? From the central bank all the way on right? Uh, what that could do for businesses, right? Um, a lot of businesses have built the business models around having uh, receivables and payables days, right? Um, and trying to manage that flow. What if we could just get rid of all of that, right? What if when I'm buying this pen right, or this notebook, um, you know, from a store, the supplier gets paid right away, right? Like what if all of these things, you know, like, so there's just so many things that could happen that I think it opens up a variety of ideas and opportunities if currency is 100% digital. And, and by, you know, we've already seen that banks and financial institutions are opening up their APIs, which I think will continue to happen. And so you continue to embed um, these solutions into different sectors and different industries. So it's a very exciting space. Um, needless to say, we think it's also gonna make the world smaller, right? Um, as ideas are gonna come from different parts of the world and be leveraged in other places. So very, very exciting. Great. And so just a quick couple of uh, questions from the public. Uh, first, I don't know, probably this, you will be the best to answer this, Tayo. As you know, uh, PayPal has been enabling uh, blockchain transactions on their platform. Yep. So um, how do you see this for emerging markets? I mean, uh, the financial uh, non-literacy for these markets, is this an upside for blockchain applications yeah. or a downside? Do you mean cryptocurrency specifically? Uh, mainly, yeah, I mean, we, we can yeah. say cryptocurrency PayPal, uh, payments. Okay, yeah, because PayPal just started allowing cryptocurrencies. Um, so I think, look, um, cryptocurrency in, uh, you know, look, I'll, I'll say in Africa, for example, the main use case to date has been remittance. Um, and frankly, it's been struggling to find a real serious use case because on remittances today, you can send fiat for instant value, right? You can send money from TransferWise through Paga into any bank account, into any phone number in Nigeria. You can send money from World Remit into a, through Paga into any bank account, phone number 
instant real-time credit, right? So when you have that kind of instant real-time credit, it begs the question of what's crypto for? You know, how does crypto really help here? However, this week in Nigeria, we've actually seen where crypto has come in because I don't know if you've been following the news, there've been a lot of protests in Nigeria and the Nigerian government came out and stopped all the accounts where funds were being raised for the protests. Um, and because the companies that are, that we're allowing for these um, fundraising were all regulated and the banks are regulated. So the central bank can actually do that. Immediately the people organizing the protests switch to cryptocurrency and they can't stop that. So, you know, so there, you know, that created a use case. And now I think, we don't know what the statistic is, but I want to bet thousands of Nigerians who never had a cryptocurrency account now opened one, right? Particularly Nigerians abroad who are trying to get money into, into Nigeria to help uh, support these protests. So I do think you're going to start seeing more cryptocurrency usage. Um, I think you're know, just still trying to figure out what the right use case is. Um, beyond remittances and you know it seems to me right now it's like trying to it, it solves things where regulations have not yet been unlocked um, is where what we're seeing right so Jonathan from, from, from your portfolio those companies that are let's say non-financial services companies would they build the fintech solutions or would they partner with someone to enable fintech uh, transactions? That's a good question. Um, I think the, uh, the 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 starting point is to uh, is to partner and to use existing infrastructure. Um, again, we, we referred to the banking as a service uh, providers to the extent that they're they are in existence and they're offering the services that uh, our, our companies need. That's what they're availing themselves of. I think over time, then you can decide when it makes sense to secure your own license and build your own infrastructure. The beauty of some of these of these platforms is that you don't have to make that choice up front. Um, you, can, uh, you can build out your services using third-party infrastructure quickly um, and then make decisions in the, in the future. And you know, one thing I wanted to just mention, you know, embedded finance is not just for industries that are not financial services. It's also about being able to layer in financial services for companies that are, for example, in the lending space and that now want to get into banking so several of our companies are small business lenders moving into small business banking and where that infrastructure is available, they're not building it out themselves. They're, they're working with banking as a service providers to add payments, um, uh, account, uh, and even credit card um, offerings into their, uh, into their services uh, to have something much more complete and comprehensive, but not building it up. Eventually though, those companies may secure their own license, may build out their own infrastructure. Um, but the beauty is now they don't have to make that decision in order to uh, experiment, expand their product portfolio and, uh, and launch things pretty quickly. Great. No, thank you. Thank you so much for, for this insight. Thank you, Tayo, founder and CEO of Paga. Thank you, Jonathan, the founder of Kona. We thank you, everyone who attended the webinar. Thank you to Alice. A same God again, Generation is Global Corporate Venture in Nova 360, IBCA, LAPCA, and BC Academy. Looking forward to seeing all of you on our next webinar on Wednesday, November 18th. It's going to be about Industry 4.0. Thank you, everyone.